0: This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. Here are your Hall of Fame voters, Ron Borges, Rick Gosselin,
1: and Clark Judge. The Talk of Fame Network is sponsored by GEICO, where just 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. For more details, go to geico.com. And you probably should have gone 15 minutes ago. Well, Dan Quinn has become a familiar face at Super Bowls lately. Not only did the Atlanta head coach take last year's Falcons to their first Super Bowl appearance in 18 years. He was the Seattle Seahawks defensive coordinator on their 2013 and 14 Super Bowl teams, too. Now, I'm no math major, but I do know that's three Super Bowls in four years, and that's rare these days. So because getting to the Super Bowl in February seems to be a habit, Dan this year will try to make the Falcons the first team since the 1993 Buffalo Bills to lose a Super Bowl game one season and return to it the following year. Yeah, I know it's a big job, but he's ready to embrace it. You know what? He's here talk about it. Dan thanks for joining us.
2: Well I'm uh, honestly uh, honored to be on with you guys today and uh, always good to to talk some ball and uh, you know our team's back and kind of going at it so you know we're anxious to each team's a little different each year's different so we're pumped to see what this group looks like.
0: Dan we were recently talking with uh, Panthers head coach Ron Rivera about this so-called you know Super Bowl curse uh, which his team technically appeared to experience in, in 2016. And, and he said to us, maybe surprisingly, that, quote, there's something to it. I wonder what your take on it is and how do you intend to inoculate your team uh, from it?
2: Well, we, we recognize that uh, guys in your spot uh, want to talk about it, but honestly where our mindset goes is uh, we always talk about our division. And uh, we got a hell of a division uh, with Carolina New Orleans and Tampa, and uh, we don't really put our focus past that. Uh, we know in the 13, you know, opponents that we play, uh, the division comes first. And uh, so that's where, you know, we talk about it. Probably the thing we talked to our team, you know, when we started the off offseason, uh, we're at base camp, you know, with about, you know, 15, 18, 20 other teams. And how much better can we get? What are the things we want to improve upon? That's where our focus lies. And that's really having a growth mindset for going after it. And that's that's where we live.
0: Dan, we all know what happened against the Patriots, but uh, actually we, we don't. So how thoroughly have you analyzed the second half of that game, and what conclusions have you reached that may help you going forward?
2: Well, number one, we've analyzed it a lot. Uh, we went through the whole season, um, you know, all of our cut-ups. We've gone from things we did well, things we wanted to improve on. We made point-of-attack tapes for every player on the roster, you know, things that were doing well, and then gave everybody really an area of emphasis you know, in their own individual game about going for it. And then also, we had our offense scout our defense, and our defense scout our offense, and that was a good way, too, to, you know, find different ways of how we would attack the opponent. And then specifically, you know, for the, the playoffs and the Super Bowl, you know, we learned a lot. And, uh, you know, how do you be adjustable on the, on the different, you know, things offensively that happen in the game, defensively that happen in the game. So, um, when you have that kind of adversity, uh, you want to learn from it, and uh, that's how you do get stronger. So, Uh, For us, the topics range from uh, finish, they range from game management and clock management, they range into, you know, different plays and uh, concepts that we could have used to try and attack better. So it was a pretty broad range of stuff that we wanted to improve upon, some by player, some by scheme, and then for the coaching staff, you know, how could we do it better, um, you know, from a game management standpoint.
1: Dan, because it's the offseason, I've got one last question for you on that game before we move on. Uh, I, I've heard that on the critical sack of Matt Ryan that Julio Jones was open. He could have run to Nebraska if the ball got to him. A, is that true, and B, if so, how difficult is it for you to accept as a coach when the call was the right one, but it just simply doesn't work out?
2: You know, it, it happens more than you think, and uh, you try to put the guys in the best spot, and uh, when your shot is there to, you know, to be made, you've got to answer and you've got to deliver, uh, especially against a championship team uh as new england is so uh, when those times come uh you don't get a lot of them but when they do come you got to answer and you got to deliver so uh what i can tell you is man do i have a lot of belief in our team and i feel like it's all out there for us uh to see how good we can get we've got a lot of guys that are up and coming and are kind of starting to gain some experience and some momentum into this off season and we're excited about to see where they can go
0: When you were in Seattle, you ran one of the best defenses really in NFL history there in 2013. You were the first since the 85 Bears to lead the NFL in fewest points allowed, fewest yards allowed, and most takeaways. What, in your mind, made that particular defense special, especially in light of the fact that the rules had changed so much?
2: Well, I guess it was probably just, um, you know, collectively, you know, the attitude uh, that guys wanted to play with. And, you know, that would have been at safety, at linebacker, and at D-line, you know, kind of the... The competition. I'm. I'm going to do my job, so I can help you do yours. Uh, You'll do mine, so I can. uh, I mean, you'll do yours, so I can do mine at the highest level. So it was, I think, having real dog competitors on all three levels of the defense that allowed them to play so well. And then past that, I would say the next thing is a real commitment to the ball. Uh, This was a team that really went after it in terms of uh, trying to force turnovers and create takeaways to give back to the offense. So. I think uh, the relentless competitors on all three kind of levels of the defense and then you combine that with the ball hawking attitude um, and that's when kind of the the magic of playing good defense comes alive.
1: I thought you were going to tell us it was great coaching. <laughs>
2: no, hardly. The events, uh, I've been really fortunate over the last uh, you know, few years to be around some excellent players. So, uh, you were talking earlier about uh, having the opportunity to be in some Super Bowls. It was uh, 100% about being at the right time, at the right place, with some really good players uh, both in Seattle and here in Atlanta.
0: And what parts of that Seattle defense and its philosophy did you bring to Atlanta, and how much had to change because of the different personnel you had there?
2: I think uh, today we're a closer vision of uh, how we want to play defense here um, at the Falcons. And uh, we want to play really aggressive. We want to be up in your face and have – corners you can stay on the line and safeties that can play man to man and the tackling that we want to demonstrate the physicality we want to play with the pass rushers uh to affect the quarterback we're getting a lot closer to the vision of what that could look like you know we've added speed you know at different you know levels of the defense over the last few years uh we've done it at pass rusher this year in the draft with mckinley and two years ago with beasley we've added some linebackers over the last couple years uh with deon jones and uh Devondre Campbell, and now this, this draft with Duke Riley. And then at safety, um, certainly with Keanu Neal, we got Ricardo Allen who, who can you know run as well. So that part, well, we're pleased with the speed you know, that we've added to the group. We love the competitive attitude that they want to play with. And then you can see this group really forming a brotherhood that's going to be uh, really strong and connected. So uh, all those things are, are coming to life just as we'd hoped they would. Um, we wanted like crazy to happen, you know, for that to happen overnight, and it didn't. So it, it's taken, you know, a year and a half to to get that thing rolling um, and up to speed like we like.
1: We're speaking with Atlanta coach Dan Quinn on the Talk of Fame Network, and you can find us on the web at talkoffamenetwork.com or on Twitter at at Talk of Fame net. And Dan, uh, we had Carolina tight end Greg Olson on with us uh, in early May, and he said he feels the NFC South may have the best assembly of four starting quarterbacks in the league. You agree with that?
2: I certainly do. And, uh, you know, Greg is somebody that, uh, man, do we have a lot of respect for competing with him, you know, competing with against him through the years. He has the, uh, you know, the tight end ability, but like the catching radius of a tight end, but like the, you know, you can split him out like a receiver and it can be just as effective. But I'd have to agree that when you go through our division, you know, and Matt and Drew and Cam and Jameis, every week it's a battle in this division. And that's why I sense that uh, if you come out of the NFC South, and uh, it's going to be a battle for the team that does do it. But if you do, you're going to have beaten some good teams along the way. And, uh, you know, like I said, uh, I think Greg was right that, uh, you know, we would have to stack our division up against anybody, you know, all four for that, you know, for that quarterback spot.
0: You know, one of the things I, I, that frustrates me, and I'm sure more so coaches like yourself, is all the rule changes that seem to favor offense. Uh, they've made defense so much more difficult today than, say, it even was in 85 with the Bears and certainly – uh back in the day when I had the leather helmet that you folded up and stuck in your pocket, you know. <laughs> and I'm just wondering to play the sort of top notch kind of really aggressive defensive football that you like. How do you achieve that in the present sort of environment where not only practices are limited and the rules are also so sort of limiting on the defense?
2: Yeah, I think uh two things. One, uh if you can create a defense that has a ball hawking mentality, that you can create some turnovers, force fumbles, uh create the, you know, effective quarterback enough to create the interceptions, and then have the speed to make plays. Those are the things I think uh, when you watch defensive play uh, in the NFL right now, man, you're going to see some guys that can truly haul ass and fly. You see that in our own division, and uh, to me that's you know where we're going to try to make up some of this ground against some terrific players and the size of guys at wide receiver. You better create some turnovers to give the ball back to the offense. And then you better have speed to match up with some of the receivers, the running backs, and the tight ends that are coming out now. So team speed on defense, in my opinion, uh, better be at the forefront of your conversations because there's wide receivers, running backs, and tight ends to match with. And if everybody else didn't roll him, uh, it's going to be a long day.
0: And speaking of receivers, you coach perhaps the most explosive receiver in football in Julio Jones. How would you defend him if he had to do it? And <laughs> what do his unusual skills bring to an offense like the one you're running today?
2: you know it's a, it's a good question and one i've answered before coaching against him before i got here i'm glad i don't know now what i didn't know then because <laughs> uh he is a handful it's um here's what makes him unique he has the speed you know to play outside but he's got the change of direction and the ability to run full speed and then make full speed cuts and that's what's so hard when you can run option routes as a big guy and break guys off so You better have some ways to, you know, play over the top of him because he can go. But he also has the ability to stop, and uh, that's where the underneath stuff for him, he can make the catch and then turn it into a long run. So I love the physical style that he plays with. Uh, You know, he's over 220 pounds. He's a relentless competitor and kind of always looking for a way to, you know, find an edge and and do it better. So he's a handful. And uh, as far as other teams doing it, I'm glad he's on our squad. I can tell you that. (laughs)
1: Hey, Dan, uh, switching conversation here, just a little bit of the topic. uh, On a personal note, you were a record-setting hammer throw at Salisbury State, correct?
2: Yeah, that was quite some time ago. (laughs) (laughs) But it's correct, right? (laughs) At at the time, I believe that was correct. Okay. um, Track and field, to me, um, I had a blast. I did it both in high school and in college. You know, in football, you know, in the fall as a team and how you did – and then in track and field, it was just you and, and the guys you were competing against. So right. um, I enjoyed that part, too, just knowing, hey, it's all up to you. Are you going to make it or not?
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you. Around the 440, the 600, and the 880, but long ago, it was so long ago that they had them in yards, <laughs> not meters. But um, my question on that was, and this is a little bit offbeat, but... Any That's similarities I mean. between throwing down the hammer and bringing down the hammer as a defensive coach or throwing the hammer and bringing down the hammer as a defensive coach?
2: It is uh, definitely different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what, um, you learned about uh, being a thrower. It's uh, how technical and you can get. So having technique is where uh, you really try to you know, find a way to improve. Right. And in football, so many you know, different skill sets that you're trying to do, and hammer it was so specific each time, this rotation, this torque of your body to where you could generate more power. So it was always competing against yourself uh, to see how good you could get. And in football, you do that to a certain extent to see where your training can take in, how you can get. But it's also all the 11 guys and working alongside everybody. So it was honestly the ideal balance for me um, as an athlete to have part that was, uh, I was going to be the one to determine it. And then the part I enjoyed most uh, was being part of a team and knowing that you were you know, a part of uh, doing things well.
0: Do you miss throwing the hammer?
2: You know what? I do miss throwing the hammer. You know, <laughs> I'm old enough now that I could probably compete in the Masters division, so uh, maybe that's <laughs> up
1: next. <laughs> hey, Dan, thanks so much for the time, and uh, best of luck with the season and breaking that Super Bowl course.
2: Well, it's uh, honestly uh, awesome to be on with you guys today, and uh, much continued success to you guys too. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Dan. All right, see you guys.
1: That was Atlanta coach Dan Quinn. And, Ron, you've been down this road with the Patriots before. I mean, I know it's not easy to pull yourself together after Super Bowl loss, but, wow, especially after what Atlanta went through in Super Bowl 51. How do you do that?
0: Well, I think they have to uh, not act like it didn't happen or give one of these, you know, we are moving on speeches like coaches love to give. And this one, you've got to at least confront it, I think. And I would do it early in training camp, and then you can move on. I'd have them all sit down and watch the game again. Let's watch okay. this game again and see why we should have won the Super Bowl and make it a positive out of a negative.
1: Okay, well, best of luck to Dan, Matt Ryan, and the Falcons. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Fame Network.